Hello and welcome to my podcast, The Power of Audio, Science and AI, supported by Stockholm Music City. I am Jasmine Moradi, your host, and in each episode, I'll take you backstage to meet with some of the top audio, science and AI personalities in the world. I will interview entrepreneurs, authors, business experts and thought leaders to learn how and why they're so passionate and determined about what they do. I will give you the knowledge and the insight your business needs to succeed with your audio branding. My guest today is my friend and ex-boss Ola Sars. We met for the first time in May 2015 when I got the chance to present my thesis results for him and the entire Soundtrack Your Brand team. After that, I fell in love with music tech. Ulla offered me my dream job to continue conducting groundbreaking in-store music research with his world-class team. Ulla is a serial entrepreneur and the co-founder of Soundtrack Your Brand, which is a background music streaming service with created background soundtracks for business use. He founded the company together with Spotify in 2013, aka Spotify Business. He's currently serving as the CEO, and together with his amazing team, my ex-colleagues, they're spreadheading the digital transformation of the commercial use of music in private and public spaces. Before that, Ola was the co-founder at Beats Music, which became Apple Music, and Pacemaker, now Tonium, the world's first DJ-driven music platform. Today, Soundtrack Your Brand has become the world's fast-growing music platform for businesses with the goal, goal to change the market for background music by providing the right music played at the right place at the right time, enhancing the in-store customer experience. The most importantly, becoming the B2B music streaming service increases the payment levels to right holders once and for all. Long journey, but they have succeeded. Soundtrack Your Brand is the only B2B music streaming service that has signed a global licenses deal with major record labels. And in August this year, they announced that the licensing deal with Universal Music Group, which was the last piece of the puzzle and a big step towards improving the broken music industry. And I'm so proud. Today, Ola and I are going to discuss the ins and outs of how and why music has been and still is undervalued as an art form and how to inform millions of businesses the value of in-store music and to get them to pay correctly for the music they use. With that, Ola, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to have you on board in, uh, to discuss this important subject to increase the value of music so that artists receive the fair share of the economic value they create in our society. Thank you for having me, Shatmin. It's amazing to see you again and, and I love what you're doing right now. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. How are you and your family doing in times like this? We're doing relative okay, actually. We, as you know, we, we have a pretty stable situation here in, in Sweden and Stockholm, even though, uh, I mean, the trend is going in the wrong way, like in the whole world right now, unfortunately, but, but relatively um, what it could be, it's actually really good. Uh, kids are in school, we're working, um, spending more time together, actually, uh, and it's opening new perspectives, both in private life, I think, and, and in professional life. So um, it's a terrible and very sad story. Uh, 
but it also has uh, you know pushed us to rethink some things and maybe do things differently as well so also maybe a bit interesting and maybe also a, a little kick in our evolution yes yeah, so that's lovely and i think a lot of people has become more authentic and figuring out what is it they want to do in their lives and we've known each other for a while now and I strongly remember when I'm meeting you, it was like almost like yesterday, because I recall you very clearly asked me why I wanted to work in the music industry. And I responded back that, no, I'm not a musician, but music makes me high like nothing else. Do, do you recall our meeting? Of course. Uh, I mean, I, the whole team, I almost remember every encounter with the team. It's a small team and, and uh, yours as well. I mean, uh, you you had figured it out quite early and that there was an opportunity uh, in the business side of music and in the research side of music, uh, which I thought was brilliant because there's a big black hole in terms of academic structured business driven approaches in, in this industry. And, and uh, it's been great that we see more initiatives uh, and you were there very early. So that was cool. Yeah, it was really cool to be able to minimize the gap between the research world and the business world. And my inner motivation has always been to understand the power that music has on our brain, but also show the value music has on branding. So now I get the chance to ask you, why did you want to work in the music industry? And what has always been your inner motivation to never stop reaching this goal? I think, first of all, um, we're very fortunate to be able to work with what we love. And it's a little bit like your story. Um, I had no musical schooling at all. I was uh, in a very happy, enthusiastic uh, consumer and prosumer. Um, just really, really always music has been one of my, you know, key drivers in life. And, and um Given a couple of moves in my life, I had the privilege to actually dare to make a move and work with my passion. And that was almost 12 years ago now. Sounds like, you know, way, way back. So I consider myself somewhat of a senior citizen in, in music tech. But the short story is it was a passion move. I moved from a previous career and completely different things. Um, but it wasn't only an emotional decision. It was a time where... I was hanging out with a lot of friends who were in the music industry, both on the creative side and on the business side. And, and I realized that the whole market was digitizing uh, at the same time right in front of us, both in terms of production, distribution and consumption. So not only was it you know, a step for me personally to kind of go after my passion and start a company within, within this space, uh, there was also something massive in movement and you know fast forward 12 years uh, the whole market has changed right in front of us both in terms of production distribution and consumption so i was right but i've done a lot of failures on the way and 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 something happened also in ibiza right you want to be able to work at the same time as you have fun because i always tell people i don't really work i wake up mm -hmm. every day and i live and what my work is, is my passion and, and the drive of it. So I think there we are very uh, similar when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate. I mean, we, we had the opportunity to, to go after that. And yes, there was, a, there was an instance uh, when I was hanging out on, on Ibiza, which we did every, every summer with good friends. 
And uh, I just realized that some of my best friends um, actually were there making money and I was there spending money. And then uh, I was having obviously very fun when I was there every summer. And then when I went home again, I, you know, I had a boring life uh, in my opinion. I mean, I don't want to sound like, like an idiot here. I had a good job and a great family and good, but, but in terms of kind of passionately, I was not into what I was working with. And and um, I just realized the fact that, you know, fun, boring, money in, money out. That's a, a pretty interesting metric or matrix to look at from a life perspective. And I decided to kind of try to move up in the fun, making money segment of that. Um, and obviously, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't enter into the creative side of the music industry, but I could enter into the business side of the music industry and into the tech side. And that's what I did with my my first startup in the music space. And I've actually had four startups in music in the music tech space since then. Yeah, and, and, and let's discuss about that. So you've been in the world of entrepreneurship and in the music tech scene for a while now. You co-founded Beats Music and Pacemaker, and you pioneered licensing deals and innovated the Nordic tech. So walk us through your journey, mostly sharing your success stories and failures, as you mentioned, and the most importantly, the learnings. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's a long story, right? Uh, but I will try to keep it uh, short and dry, Swedish style. Um, just summarizing uh, everything with, I'm actually doing the same thing today as as I as set out to do 12 years ago, and that that was based on the notion that the whole music industry was digitizing in front of us, obviously, and leading to the prerequisite that all the beautiful art music in the world would be available at our fingertips anywhere anytime any place that was you know an incredible notion because previously you were kind of limited to buying cds which was great or vinyl or uh, you know you were buying access to very limited catalog through uh, analog distribution system right but even 10 years ago or 12 years ago, digitization was coming. It was coming through file sharing. It was coming through, you know, the Napsters or the LimeWires or the Pirate Bays of the world and, and some limited kind of streaming solutions. Uh, hence, uh, th- that provided for me a massive opportunity because the most interesting problem to solve or job to be done in that context is obviously figuring out what music to whom, when, and where. <clears throat> so the company um, or entity that would solve for that problem would, would have a very interesting future. So <clears throat> it was all about kind of the filtering function or the, you know, the selection support uh, in, in that market reality of all the music available anywhere, anytime, any place that I set out to solve. And it was a bit early, um, maybe more than a bit early. Um, 12 years ago and but but the idea was still to go after a source of music intelligence and 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 that first uh, startup pacemaker we went out to connect with the global dj community meaning that um, with the logic that all djs of the world obviously work with selecting music in real time and contextualizing music for this specific bar or this party or you know a tuesday versus a friday and if we could tap into their collective knowledge and extract kind of their intelligence and emotional 
kind of decision making around what music goes with what music and what song comes next in what context, then we could actually create, turn that around and create a music recommendation engine. <clears throat> so Tonium Pacemaker was all about finding a way to incept and connect with the global uh, DJ community uh, and kind of extract their collective intelligence. Uh, we did that by building hardware um, and uh, that was basically the only solution at that time because this was even before App Store. So uh, we ended up having to distribute this Trojan horse, if you may, uh, through a hardware solution. And we built this very beautiful company with a hardware component called the Pacemaker, the world's first pocket-sized DJ system, which was kind of positioned around democratizing DJing. It was a prosumer product to go broader into the music tastemaker market and kind of connect with that market. And then we built uh, software for that, the embedded software, the software client to that, and an online platform where DJs could upload and share their creative produce, mean the mixes. Uh, and we would extract the data in that whole kind of interchange and then turn that into uh, an, an amazing music discovery place. Uh, so very ambitious. Uh, and I would say quite on, I mean, it was, it, it, it was quite um, correct in the assumption that that was what the music industry would be about, curation. Uh, but we ended up uh, you know, raising $20 million a lot of money at that time in music tech and in little Sweden. And we ended up spending almost all of it to iterate the hardware business because it's really hard to build hardware. And so we ended up building a very, very, you know, and a unique hardware device and a brand launching in 20 markets, but we weren't able to take it to the next step. So we, we kind of folded and gave up uh, four and a half years into the pacemaker uh, effort. And after that, how did you end up with the music? So what happened then was that we, <clears throat> I still, during that period, we'd been, you know, the pacemaker device had been in kind of the, the mid, you know, the, the center fold of Wired magazine. And it was all over the place as this intelligent kind of forward-leaning music platform that could compete with Apple and so forth. So our investors were obviously all fired up about the, the prospects of our, our innovation. But uh, we had spent so much money and, and effort and working day and night in kind of producing this, this hardware platform to distribute that we were running out of steam, basically. And we weren't, you know, we didn't have enough power to reiterate the hardware and take it further. So we kind of concluded the Pacemaker ambition. And at that point, I acquired the online platform from Pacemaker and we sold the hardware platform to our Korean manufacturing partner. And then I injected some of my own money into that and created um, an online platform called Let's Mix, which was the first human-driven uh, music discovery platform, meaning that all the DJs there were filtered and uploaded uh, in a very interesting way. So you can go and start following DJs, which meant that you were actually connecting to human curation in real time. And it became a very, very strong platform for DJs to promote themselves. Uh, it was like a YouTube for DJs and we did very unique licensing for that platform. And then for consumers, it started exploding because people just love the fact uh, to follow a human instead, a human tastemaker, rather than, you know, trying to find music yourself. And it was, it was a very nice kind of interchange between tastemakers and taste takers. And um, so Let's Mix was um, kind of the world's first human or DJ driven music platform. 
uh, and we used initial parts of our AI and, and kind of the intelligence that we extracted to create these recommendations for the DJs and mixes for the listeners, and it took off. Uh, but uh, during the pacemaker hardware kind of times where we were all over the world, you know, promoting this this bigger vision, um, Jimmy Iovine and, and Dre were starting Beats Music, or sorry, they were starting Beats by Dre, the headphone company. And they were kind of betting on hardware as well initially to kind of break into the music industry and kind of connect to the digitization by headphones and, and their instance. And uh, they tried to buy the pacemaker from us because they thought it was a perfect component in, in kind of the Beats uh, portfolio. Uh, we weren't successful or I wasn't successful in brokering that deal. And they didn't want to pay that much. And our investors thought we were going to be the new Apple. So that didn't work out really well. And they didn't really understand the power of these, these people as well, how kind of important they were for music in general. Short, long story short, uh, when I had Let's Mix, I was able to re-engage re with, with Jimmy and Dre and Luke and the team over there. And um, this was right in line with what they saw as kind of the competing thesis to Spotify, who is really just focusing on building a robot at that time and kind of unlocking artificial intelligence uh, and applying machine learning in order to create, you know, like a recommendation engine. They were more focused on looking to build a human-driven music service uh, or what Jimmy re referred to as the New York Times for music. So an editorially driven uh, music product. And that was a per Let's Mix was a perfect starting point for them. So they actually acquired Let's Mix for me and I transferred my team into uh, becoming the Beats Music, initial Beats Music team. And we incorporated in Sweden on in stealth mode to kind of build out the competitor to Spotify, global competitor to Spotify. Uh, and that obviously uh, was the next kind of uh, challenge, very big challenge. And uh, that's a whole book in itself, that story. But I just conclude by uh, saying that, that that at the end of the day, that worked out really well. Uh, but I checked out uh, before we uh, sold the company to Apple because I was completely exhausted. It was the absolute craziest ride. And I've been in a couple of crazy rides. Uh, but it became a really nice product. Uh, it, it was it was a really nice effort, and you know, Apple Music is now the obviously the main competitor to Spotify worldwide, and it's it's, it's uh, been interesting and, and stimulating to be in the middle of all of that. Is there any regrets that you wish that you did differently, or something that now, when you are more educated in the business and know more, that you wish that you could have done differently back then? Yes, I mean, lots of things, obviously. Um, I mean, I, I can just try to generalize and say that people have a tendency to underestimate the, com underestimate the complexity of music streaming. And um, there's also a lot of opportunists and people that think that, yeah, but how hard can it be, you know? But it's extremely hard. I mean, it's super complex. Um, you not just the technology as such, but uh, the whole fulfillment of a music service and the consumer expectation is obviously enormous now. I mean, we're so spoiled as consumers right now. So, so <clears throat> it it's a very challenging place to be because you could often hear. I mean, just give me Spotify and we'll put a sticker on it. Uh, and but you need to find your your build the infrastructure. You need to source the content. You need to build the team. 
you need to find your differentiation, you need to excel in like basic product metrics, you need to commercialize it and, and you need to package it and you need to innovate to lead. And, and that's not trivial. And um, I think what I'm doing right now, which is my fourth startup, um, Soundtrack Your Brand, or Soundtrack as we refer to it, um, I'm doing it again, but I'm doing it now in, in the B2B space. So basically reinventing background music uh, for the streaming era. And as you said previously, that was when I moved back home and, and kind of needed a job and took you know, the next step, I decided to start the B2B streaming service of the world. And I did that together with Spotify. And, and here we are seven years later, uh, rolling out globally. Yeah, so let's, uh, first of all, I want to say that, yes, tech is challenging. I've been myself for two years trying to figure out how can I commercialize to measure the impact of music. And first of all, it's hard to find really good people uh, that are able in the music industry to solve it. But overall, it's really tough. So I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. And looking at the soundtrack story then, you met your co-founder, uh, Andreas Lifgarden, which was working with licensing and business development at Spotify back then. And then you were also working with Joel Brucho that designed the soundtrack product. But one day, you and Andreas were sitting uh, at a cafe in front of the Spotify HQ in Stockholm 2013. And out of the blue, you decided to walk in and talk to Daniel Eich uh, and Martin Lorenzo. So tell us about uh, that meeting and uh, the vision you sold in, your emotion and thoughts looking back at it today. I think uh, obviously Andreas had, um, you know, direct understanding of how, how Spotify was thinking at time. And remember that was early days for Spotify as well. And, and so did I, I have some very close personal friends who work on, on, on you know, levels that have full understanding of what Spotify is doing the whole time. So. Uh, I kind of it's a small city Stockholm also so everyone pretty much knows what's going on I mean I think the the core driver of that was I mean all of the three co-founders were very you know everyone bought into the idea that we should bring streaming to the b2b market and I kind of had already started with my previous beats team that couldn't move to the US when we when we moved everything over so I had a I had a small tech team so that was good. And we were already experimenting with this. And then uh, Joel and Andreas joined in and kind of thought that, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's kind of take this to the next level. And one very clear learning that I had from Beats was that building the actual backbone or the so-called backend of the music service, meaning the whole ingestion and management of 50 million tracks in terms of just managing it and, and uh, you know, uh, offering it up to a user interface is super complex and very expensive because I just completely uh, underestimated it when we were at Beats. So I had learned the hard way. It takes, you know, 20, 30 million dollars just to build it. Uh, and that's just the beginning. So the driving force of going to Spotify was the best music backend in the world for streaming right now is just across the street. And we were literally in a cafe uh, right across the street. And and uh, so my very you know pragmatic uh, approach was let's go and ask if we could actually do something with them where we could source the back end because either we go to beats and do it or we go across the street and do it or we source it in the market because we're not going to build it and so we did and uh, i think 
uh, we had a very clear proposition. So like, look, um, the music industry also has a business to business uh, segment. It might not be as big uh, in terms of volume as the consumer segment, but it's very interesting because it reaches a lot of consumer. It is an incremental opportunity for music streaming, not just in terms of consumer reach, but also in terms of monetization. Uh, and by the way, it's completely different than consumer services. It's like building, uh, you know, uh, a car versus a truck. It's the engineering is just completely different. Um, and the user logic is completely different. The licensing is completely different. Uh, the only thing that's not different is the actual commodity, the music that's being sourced. Hence, a uh, very clear logic would be, look, we can invest and build the user interfacing part of this product, but we want to use your kind of music backbone to do it in order to save time money. And by, if we do that together, we, we, can, we can start a, a joint venture to do it. And uh, we would invest in it, both of us, and you would have parallel innovation, but we were building our own independent company and our own brand and so forth. That was the ambition, at least, when we spent the logic. The meeting as such, I mean, was very easy because, you know, uh, it's a very clear opportunity and we're, suites are easy to deal with, like we understand each other and, and just kind of just had to figure out how to do it. And we did that in half an hour and off we were. And by them then becoming the early uh, backers of your vision and your first product that came out with Spotify Business and from the lens of uh, licensing, because you talked to two different challenges one is the technical back end to build it but the second part is actually design licensing so why was this strategy so crucial in the success of spotify business and soundtrack your brand and how does licensing deals process work and how difficult is it to to get them if you would like to explain it for the listeners okay how do how do i do that in a okay so <laughs> first of all I'll, it is uh extremely difficult um, first of all um, the good news is I had done it before and within the team with within like where me Andreas Joel and some others we had deep knowledge and I had actually done it at Beats before so understood how complex it was the second part of that was there was no B2B solution for music streaming at that point it did not exist when Spotify and, you know, Beats and everyone went out to kind of set the business model for consumer streaming, they had to architect that model. And that model is, the business model is, okay, the price should be X, $9.99 in their case, and uh, labels should get uh, X percent of that, and publishers should get Y percent of that, and the DSP should get, you know, Z percent of that. And that's the model. And then there's lots of complexities and local pricing and a minima structures and that and greater of shares and so forth so it's like designing a subscription model with with you know all the rights holders in the world in the music industry who aren't the most organized people so uh spotify had been able to do it and kick in doors in terms of the structure of streaming how it works and uh, how you extract money and how you distribute royalties through the value chain. Uh, but for B2B, it did not exist because the blueprint for the truck did not exist. What, what does a truck cost and kind of uh, how do we source components? And 
what's the deal with, you know, everything that had to do with the B2B did not exist. So we had to go out and basically did the same thing as Spotify did for consumer was uh, selling in the vision of that there is a, a big opportunity, selling in the logic that music in the public domain is a very interesting thing for the music industry as such. It can, you know, we can break artists, we can add incremental revenue. Then we needed to kind of align 10,000 rights holders around how much do you keep and how much do we keep? And then what's the price in the market? And that did not happen overnight. Uh, and uh, initially, as you know, Jasmine, we started off in the Nordics because we wanted to do a commercial proof of concept. And in order to do that, Spotify helped us do some initial kind of society-based licensing, licensing in the Nordics. And we just to test the concept, the commercial proof of concept, and we very quickly um, kind of realized that this this works. There is a market here, and we became market leaders in the Nordics. We acted under the Spotify uh, business brand and the Spotify enterprise brand uh, because they were sourcing the initial licensing in the back end. But that gave us kind of the the checkbox of okay, this works. And then I think 2015. Uh, we decided, took the big decision to go completely independent, which was the idea from the beginning, but we had the proof points. Hence more, we, more, more, more global. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we set out to actually go after global licensing. So uh, it took us almost three and a half years to get to a point where we had a catalog good enough to go live in, in like an international independent proposition under the soundtrack brand and totally independent from Spotify. And, and then a little bit fast forward here, we are today live in 74 markets with 50 million tracks, including all of, all of the major publishers, all of the major labels and 10,000 uh, label and publishing deals to kind of support our offering. I think there is important to, to talk about the process because I think a lot of people don't have the understanding of the hard work behind it. Uh, the hard work of, of, of putting together that structure, the licensing, but also of, of the work that artists do. So there's so much work behind it and therefore the value of, of paying for it. But me, myself, working now a lot in the music industry in the last six plus years, I'm still confused how the music disruption, uh, distribution, sorry, payment process works. And I'm sure I'm not alone. Uh, it is a broken, fragmented industry. Uh, Spotify killed the piracy, and I will say that Soundtrack Iran is killing CDs and the illegal use of consumer streaming services. So educate for our listeners the black hole and the difference between B2C and B2B uh, music streaming products and the private music license versus commercial music license. So they once and for all get this and understand what mm -hmm. is it they're paying for and why. So I'll try to explain it from the user perspective, meaning uh, a cafe owner or an entrepreneur driving, you know, 10 restaurants or one restaurant or maybe thousand cafes. Uh, all of them are, you know, entrepreneurs for us and they are brand builders uh, and they are looking to create a customer experience in everything they do. I mean, our customers are, mainly hospitality, hotels, restaurants, bars, cafes, retail, all of the segments within retail, um, office space actually as well. Uh, any public domain where you're listening outside of your headphones, so to speak, you're listening in a public social domain, 
And we did not invent the notion of public performance, which is called, uh, where you're actually using music to augment some type of physical experience. That has been, you know, estimated as a licensing class for almost, you know, 80 years. And, and uh, the notion is that you should be paying more if you're actually using music to somehow augment that experience in the physical world. And that was set already, but then technology came and distribution, and everything, and kind of, kind of broke it. So let's just start with the fact that that entrepreneur understands that music will help her or him uh, improve the product experience or whatever they're, you know, kind of building. Uh, so they use music and most of them already do for a good reason, because, you know, researching the effects of music isn't new either as a notion. It's been done in advertising research, as you know, for a long time, and it's been done for kind of retail research as well for a while, but it hasn't been applied to the possibilities that streaming unlocks the fact that you can actually in real time adjust and you can you can access 51 million tracks and you can you can drive emotional reactions and you can drive behaviors and you can sound different on southern mound versus normal more uh, you know fifth avenue versus lexington avenue because the crowd is different and something different is going on so the power of real time and the power of full catalog and the power of data has never been unlocked for so we are, for this entrepreneur, we're providing them with the opportunity of music streaming and the power that that can unlock in terms of the music experience, which, by the way, they've already accepted that that's a very important integral part of what they're building. Uh, so this is new. And, and then obviously, like in many kind of consumer versus B2B evolutions through time, it came firstly in the consumer space here. So people started using Spotify or, or Apple Music and they took it for granted, like, okay, music streaming, that's the way to go. And they started looking and there were no streaming services for business. So they just took their Spotify account and started playing if you're a small entrepreneur. And, and, <clears throat> and those are not built at all for business use. I mean, they're completely distributed. So if you're one of our customers, meaning that you're either an entrepreneur within retail, hospitality, cafe, restaurants, and so forth, then you are using music to develop your product experience, meaning the customer experience in your shops or restaurants. And by the way, you most likely have already taken that decision um, way back because music in venues is by no means a new phenomenon. It's been around forever and has been you know, uh, realized to be uh, a very important component in the experience in physical in physical uh, places. So uh, you're already using music to augment the customer experience. Uh, and here comes streaming, like the new revolution. And you most likely start using Spotify or Apple Music privately and you understand how powerful it is. You know, all of this amazing music available anywhere, anytime, and just creating different types of playlists and getting different types of recommendations. But then you realize that there are no streaming services for business. You're playing CDs in your restaurant or in your retail operation as of today or some funky satellite feed. So obviously you start maybe using your Spotify account or your Apple account and, and kind of unlocking the, the initial opportunity of streaming. Uh, and we want to fill that gap, obviously, first of all. We want to provide the first kind of online offering uh, for music streaming for businesses, both in terms of product 
and both in terms of licensing being you know sustainable in what you're buying and also unlocking the power of real-time data and everything that you're talking about in terms of improving your experience so we built that product soundtrack and provided it to the global market um, then the complexity of that is obviously uh, significant because as that entrepreneur you, you only have so and so much time to think about music right so today also um, you need to if you're in Europe for example and you for, for some reason have found soundtrack and you found that you know the product is perfect because also not only can you unlock the 50 million tracks and all the AI and music intelligence components for your brand and set the boundaries for your brand experience you're also legal in terms of using uh, using a streaming service because if you were using Spotify or Apple Music, just as an example, it's actually illegal and it's a similar thing of you know opening a cinema on your Netflix account. It's that uh, it's that bad. And or if you know if you're if you're a sports bar and you're you know showing Premier League or some sports event every sports bar owner knows that they need a business license to do that or they'll get severe fines uh, it's just a, it's just a matter of maturity in the market until that that kind of maturity comes and unlocks the potential uh, and then you also have to think about okay so then i'm i have a legal service right i'm not using uh, the consumer service which is very clearly in terms and conditions, it's not for commercial use. You're now correctly on a platform that's, that's licensed for business, maybe a soundtrack as of now. Uh, then you also have to figure out, okay, uh, in, in Europe, I'm also paying for the performance to societies, which is something that we're looking to fix as a next step for us. So you, you're actually maybe paying two or three invoices if you're running 10 restaurants in Europe. Um, we're now also looking to include the performing rights into our service so you can get everything through one bill. And we've actually been able to achieve that in the U.S. and Canada already. So in the U.S. and Canada, you, if you're buying Soundtrack as a service, you're 360 covered for all the rights. You have the best service, the best uh, AI technology to create the best uh, brand experience through music. And you can connect to our APIs and kind of track sales and do everything that you want to really spend time doing, driving your business rather than figuring out how to license music. So I don't know if I've kind of simplified the understanding of the music uh, licensing implication for business, but just concluding, it's complex and too complex in our opinion. We want to uh, help the music market to simplify so the entrepreneur can easily buy it. If we're able to do that through a good product, just like Spotify solved piracy on, in the consumer market by better product, their, their slogan was better than piracy. And that was quite successful, right? If we can do the same thing for B2B and simplify for the entrepreneur, they're happy to pay a premium. They, we can see today, they're happy to pay $50. And, and that is the biggest important thing of my contribution to the music industry. Like, our goal is to unlock and improve value in music and value in terms of great value for the customer, meaning the price becomes secondary and $50 for a restaurant owner per month. That's not a lot. And looking back uh, in 2019, we commissioned Nielsen Music to estimate how much the right holders actually are losing due to the businesses not using properly licensed services. And our results show that 25 million businesses around the world use 
uh, music without paying properly for it. But as you said, it is also not they don't doing it consciously, right? Because there was not no product out there. And the music industry at large, what we were able to show is missing out like $2.7 billion per year as a result of this, that people are using their own Spotify, Apple accounts, rather than proper B2B services that exist today. What was the industry reaction over our findings? And how have you been able to use these findings to increase the value of music in the industry and reaching Soundtrack Your Brand's vision? I think it was um, a very, very clear impact in the industry because it was, uh, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Uh, it's a quantitative study, a robust quantitative study, um, very clearly analyzing the delta in terms of how many businesses are actually using consumer services illegally. And it's not ill intent. It's usually just not knowing. Of course, they want to have streaming service for music, but there was no streaming services available. So first, it's a question of education and, and information uh, around this notion. But then the, and the music industry's reaction was, wow, this is huge. This is actually worth coming out of bed for. And you know, we pretty much have already discounted the future growth of consumer streaming into our business. We know it's gonna go from 70 billion to maybe 140 billion, as Goldman Sachs estimates in the next 10 years. Um, mainly driven by, by streaming, of course. So here's an incremental opportunity to add additional value to music streaming. And most importantly, here's an initiative that actually raises value per subscription or kind of the, the perception of value in music uh, in a very nice way. I mean, we are charging today and we've actually this Monday just launched globally. Um, soundtrack unlimited offering which is something that we've been working with for like four or five years it's the equivalent of a spotify or or apple in terms of interactivity and what you can do with music but wrapped in a very nice business to business software solution where you can sit and control your brands worldwide and, and distribute music on brand and let staff control certain parts of it and so forth it's everything you would ever ask for and now we're charging, uh, at least in terms of market list pricing, five times what the consumer services are charging for that, $50 a month. Uh, the reality is that the global ARPU for consumer services today is much lower. It's below $5. It's close to $4 because with the kind of the discounts in place and so forth. So in, in short, a label, as an example, are extracting around two and a half to three dollars per consumer subscription a month right and that's great it's a great market but if you look at what we're extracting we're extracting 10 times per subscription what a consumer service does so just the pure economical common sense and logical driving force which by the way is the best driver in the music industry because everyone's you know money focused but they're, they're not that good of a on extracting value though but if you're a, if you're a label uh, and you can make 10 times more on a subscription rather than letting an illegal subscription be there I find that very motivating if I was a label I would spend you know my whole work week trying to fix this market and kind of lobby all the lobby organizations see to it the fact that because 
The problem is not the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is happy about paying $50. That's if they know that it's sustainable, it supports the artists, it's the best service, the right artists and the right composers are getting paid. I mean, they're not the problem. The problem is that the industry needs to get behind it and kind of stimulate and inform and see to the fact that we actually implement a compliant market and a functioning market. And that has just begun. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight, but we really need to come together and, and do it faster. And, and also for business entrepreneurs to understand that they don't only pay to, to increase the, the payment for the artist, but the difference that they get between the consumer product and the business service product is huge. There, there's, 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 I'm going to talk about that later, but it's important to point that out. It's, it's, it's a lot of value for the, for the entrepreneurs on that. But the, 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 another impressive thing and that you guys recently announced is that you signed the global license with Universal Music and it was the final piece in the licensing deal because you've had the other one since before. And this is a big step towards improving what we are talking about, the broken music industry. And I know as we've been talking again, it hasn't been an easy ride. How did you and your team feel when you nailed this deal? And what does this deal mean? And how important is it for going forward? I mean, I think it's critical because we are, um, we are architecting a new business model for B2B, right? And in order to get to a point where we can actually stand straight and say, uh, we have now set the market. You know, the market is set. This is the model for B2B. Uh, this is the price point that we're targeting for the different tiers. And this is the flow through and kind of the breakup of royalties. We, we can't do that with 9,999 deals if we don't have the world's biggest label with us. And they were, they were, um, they're a great partner. They've been a great supporter, but they're also a very powerful player. And it took much longer than we ever expected to get to conclusion around kind of this is this is the balanced business model. Uh, I think you'd have to ask them that because we pretty much were done with everyone else and everyone else had accepted it. And I think, uh, I think it's, you know, you have to have respect for um, rights holders because their job is to protect the art and maximize value. And they need to make a call here that sets a market. So there are lots of implications of joining this model. But at the end of the day, it was very clear that this was, you know, a, a pivotal moment for the industry uh, and Universal kind of finally gladly joined us. We did do some adjustments uh, that everyone, to everyone's benefit, that were very you know productive from their side. And then we launched the model together. And so it was a pivotal moment for the whole music industry. It sets the model and it kind of creates the whole logic for us to say that now everyone should comply to this model. And when you're selling to businesses and, and just like Spotify did for the consumer side. The second part of your question is like, uh, obviously, why was this important? How did we feel? It was, it was a long, long, long negotiation. And we had a product portfolio ambition to have a fully on-demand product and a semi-interactive product 
more of kind of one that creates your your soundtracks and the other one enables you to do whatever you want with your music and which is called an on-demand product and in order to launch an on-demand product uh, you need all the content in the world otherwise it's a broken product experience you're going to search for an artist in universal catalog and you're not able to kind of deliver a search result that's a broken product so we couldn't launch our on-demand service until we were kind of catalog complete if you may and without umg it was not catalog so Obviously, it wasn't just signing Universal. It was signing the market, and it was signing the launch of Soundtrack Unlimited and the breakthrough in terms of a product that delivers 10 times more to labels per month than a consumer service. And all the logic uh, for the industry to get behind us and see to that compliance is secured. And all the music uh, in the world now, more or less, that it's the same catalog that the consumer services so the, 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 the entrepreneurs now have access to all the music that they love to be able to personalize it for, for their brands. And, and one interesting thing also looking at the illegal use of content, uh, when, when, when we were working on this, because uh, I've been in the journey with you during those years, is that each household <laughs> has to pay a TV, TV license, right? Which is a legal permission to install, to use television equipment, to receive TV programs at home. And the music industry, as you said, with the PROs, they have this collective license system as a legal permission. In Sweden, we have Steam and Sami. But when companies use personal uh, Spotify or Apple Music accounts in their stores, they are actually uh, breaching the terms and condition of those consumer-facing services. And I've always thought about, oh, well, the best way to tackle this is why don't we have a legal permission of the use of commercial music license, for example. But how are you as Centric Brand tackling this challenge, pursuing companies to go legit? I mean, back to the Spotify analogy, it's not really our job uh, to to drive compliance. We are merely and humbly the product solution. And we've you know, spent the $50 million to build it. Um, so we're providing the carrot in the equation, if you may, like the great product and the enablement and saving time, saving anxiety, saving actually in the US also saving money um, for the entrepreneur to, in order to go over to service that can fully register everything that's being played and renumerate based on that. Uh, the industry in its construct and interest organizations are actually there to secure sustainable usage of the creative art music and compliance uh, in the market and innovation in the market. So most of the kind of information and compliance work should be on them because it's in the numbers. I mean, everyone wants a transparent, correct flow through of royalties. And if we're extracting 10 times more for label in this example, and by the way, previously in, you know, if you were distributing to CDs or some legacy part, this reporting didn't go anywhere. And, it, and, and if you were an artist and looking at your royalty statement for licensing, for streaming, uh, you wouldn't see anything from B2B. I, you know, I challenge any artist, look at your royalties, where's your money from B2B? It's not there because the flow through doesn't exist and it does, it's not reported on playback like it is in consumer. We're the first solution to that. So I think together with the industry, we've done something that really 
unlocks value and helps artists get paid more. And in these times, we need every little cent to our creatives to survive because life's out the door right now. Uh, and we look for the industry organizations to understand this and then inform and, uh, and, and you know, also drive compliance because that's their job. And inform the entrepreneurs because I'm still surprised that even now with your product and we are, you know, you're educating the businesses. I'm still surprised that every time I speak to a store owner, not all of them, but some of them, they say that, yeah, but there's lower price of using the consumer product. So why should I pay higher for monthly subscription? Uh, and, and I would say it's not the same. I think it's very important as you state out in all of this is that music is for personal use is used for entertaining ourselves in a smaller group at home. But for businesses, music in their business is used to enhance the store experience to increase sales. So businesses pay for everything else in the stores, right? The store rent, decoration, uh, business sales softwares. So. I, was, I always find it so ignorant that music is always perceived as a free service. And why? Because artists are putting their time and soul to create it. Um, and, and music has been and still is undervalued uh, as an art form. Why do you think that? Because music costs because it is a job done by an artist. Yeah, right. I think uh this is i mean you're you're hitting right into my heart right now and to my brain because this is the main question i think um i think the understanding is there uh, for from people that an artist somewhere is creating and trying to make a living and then bringing that understanding all the way to action is obviously the challenge and that needs to be done through both the carrot and the stick great service that really save you know provides them with unlimited value and value in terms of saving money and, and uh, uh, you know, driving sales and doing whatever they do um, when they run their business. That's my job, our job at Soundtrack. And then uh, the, the information and kind of the stimulation to understand that they should be paying for, for a business license when using it. I mean, look at the sports industry. There's not a bar showing the Premier League in Europe that's not licensed. They're able to do it. Why isn't the music industry able to do it? And you know what it costs to show the Premier League in a pub in the UK per year? 20,000 quid. So it's like 200,000 kroner to have the Premier League rights for a bar. And the bar owner pays it happily. Mm. So I, I, I don't want to be you know, um, aggressive about the statement because I understand the entrepreneur's challenge to survive and save money. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very simple equation for me. I mean, your job is, is worth something, but so is the artist and the composer's job. If you don't want to play music, uh, that's fine. Don't play. But if you want to play it, you need to pay for it. And I think that's where the industry needs to step up. I mean, if if you're looking for incremental value for the artists and, and, and the composers, here it is right in front of you. You already know how many shops are out there. Let's go and fix that market. Make it easy. Like bridge the gap between the entrepreneur and the music industry. Simplify for them. Help them. They're, they're willing to pay, but we can't do it by charging them, you know, three different invoices and lots of complexity and kind of hunting them down. You need to facilitate the synergy between music and the entrepreneur. That's where the solution is. So I think... Um, 
that's our job together with the music industry to kind of go after this. And if we go after it, I think it's huge. I think it can be 15 to 20% incremental on top of the streaming market. If we fix the B2B market and I, you know, I challenge Why? anyone. Will. Up, <laughs> yeah. And coming up with, you know, tell me about something that could actually unlock, you know, 15, 20% on top any other thing because we, the music industry has a tendency to give stuff away for free. Oh, it's promotion. You know, Oh, it's radio. Exactly. No, your job is to extract value uh, out of the buyer of music. And, and that's what we need to work. We need to improve and increase value perception in music, not give it away for free. So I think there's a massive like mental change that needs to occur with everyone working with it and with the pride to extract value from, from this amazing art. And, and one interesting thing, when I used to do the user researchers, I did have businesses that said, why should I pay? Because Beyonce, Kenny West is already rich. Uh, and I've read <laughs> in the private music license deals that they only pay like what six to eleven percent in royalty to artists and musicians, and I found it so amazingly that Soundtrack brand it gives back more than fifty percent of all the revenue you generate to the creative industry, which should be the case of all B two B business providers. So you are showing the way. And it's important that artists are fairly being paid when their music is used by commercial uh, premises. Uh, how does the competitor's royalty B2B distribution model looks like compared now to the soundtrack your brand, thanks to the new distribution model you have? Plus, what are the benefits for the artists and the music industry? And most importantly, how much will the artists actually get paid? Right, so this is uh, the same complexity as in the consumer space. And I'll try to address it clearly uh, and kind of transparently because we are completely transparent in our model in terms of we charge $50 for unlimited and $35 for essential or two different products. And in those products, uh, in the unlimited, we, we distribute uh, overall at around 50% of what we, what we uh, extract to the music industry, to the labels and the publishers. Uh, and we do it by taking a lot of value per subscription. So if you look at a subscription, we're obviously charging 10 times more and we're, we're distributing 10 times more royalties uh, on the label example per subscription. Then you're actually in the next phase of that, uh, you're talking about the, the record labels and the publishers deal in their terms, their commercial deals with their artists and their deals with their composers for the publishing side. And that's actually their business. Uh, we, don't, we don't control the business relationship that they have with their artists. But going back to your previous question, what we do is we distribute the right data to them right now because we have direct deals with 10,000 labels and publishers, meaning that we are connected to their content pipeline. We're getting constant updates of content as well as their data pipelines, meaning that we're getting updates in real time on who owns what track in the world. And that's, you know, millions of updates all the time. That's the complexity of streaming. In order to be, give them the right reporting and pay them the right royalties based on what's being played. And so they can take that, okay, this artist, this little artist in, in Nebraska was actually played 12 times in Stockholm at this rate card which gives her this amount of money and they should be paying her according to their commercial deal. That's a very important point answering your second. The, the data connectivity to labels and publishers according to the streaming model 
is something that only Soundtrack has in the world. The, our legacy competitors, they have so-called indirect licensing, which is fine, it's not illegal. They are licensing through societies, uh, and then how they actually do it, that's another question, but I won't address that. I'll just address the general model. That model as, a, as such does not have the data connectivity to the labels and the publishers in real time. It doesn't allow them to get data updates on who owns what and so forth. And the reporting is done, if done, done manually. And the reporting then obviously doesn't provide them with the data power of, in real time, playback based, reconcile to the artist or the songwriter correctly based on what's being played. So it's broken in my, in my humble perspective. It's not a functioning flow-through model. It's an analog manual structure with multiple instances of potential you know, inefficiencies and mistakes. And there's no transparency. So why not? Yeah, why, not? Uh, why, not uh, why not apply the streaming model that's now shown? At least it's transparent. You can think what you want about it and the rate structure, but at least it's based on paying, paying the artist and the creative on if their art is used. And I, and I, I, I prefer paying them 10 times more. Yes, and, and it's as you say, another black hole in the industry has been the reporting. I mean, data is gold, and, and, and before it hasn't been possible, probably because of technology. So if you're able to, to not spoil it, but tell us a little bit like, how are you guys solving it? Is it, AI, is it blockchain technology? There's a lot of people in the industry talking about these kind of technologies to be able to solve this. I think it's very simple. We, we're solving it the same way Spotify is solving it. There's no rocket science in, in actually reporting on usage basis. It's very complex and it's super expensive to build and it's taken you know, $50 million to build. But once you've built it and you've connected all the pipelines to the rights holders, it's a machine. And, and the machine um, distributes fairly transparently on playback basis uh, and on different rate cards around the world to the right songwriter, to the right artist. And that's for me uh, very satisfying to say. And then that we've been able to raise the rates and then hence the royalty payout, that's even more satisfying because I'm creating a, an additional line item on the artist's uh, royalty report. Um, it might not pay the rent, first month but I mean if we grow this it can be a substantial incremental income for the creators and I think it's unacceptable that there is a market out there selling music to retailers that are that think they're doing the right thing and the money doesn't flow through to the artist that is completely unacceptable in my meaning and that is in some instances the case today and there is today a solution it should be it should be deployed throughout the market as the industry standard and everyone should comply to the transparency of you know the streaming model that's my subject and obviously building soundtrack it's my opinion but i think it's a very logical approach yeah and and and, and, and talking about the product that you guys recently uh launched the soundtrack unlimited tell our listeners the, what is the value that now that you offer for the businesses I mean, unlocking the unlimited the on-demand product for businesses was mainly um, something that we were planning to do the whole time, but it was a question of when we needed to do it. Because most businesses, if you're kind of 
in the mid segment really don't need to be able to create your own playlists track by track or let the staff you know create your own playlist you want to centrally control and you want to distribute kind of a brand experience and that's completely sufficient to have our tier two product that we call soundtrack uh, essential to do that but then when we started kind of digging into more the smb market the small and medium-sized businesses kind of the micro businesses we saw a really cool behavior as well the entrepreneurs that run two three cafes somewhere and were like actually wanting to pinpoint every little track and you know program their whole week because they love their business right they love their customers and they want to you know be very very unique in in that specific instance so they needed what is called an on-demand product and they were willing to pay for that power um, so we opened up that opportunity to anyone to also be as interactive as they possibly can if they want to play you know the weekend, uh, you know, a hundred times in a row, they can now do that on the unlimited product because it allows them to do anything they, they want with their music and, and it allows them to pay uh, sustainability levels to the artist by, when doing it. And how are you incorporating AI to, to make this more scalable? How are you working with AI? I mean, uh, that's always been back to kind of 12 years ago, right? What I, where I started and kind of the notion of creating um, some type of music recommendation support uh, of, you know, picking the right music for the right context. Here in Soundtrack applied in, you know, branded environments uh, and kind of in business environments. And the, the cool thing about that also back to kind of the story of coming from the consumer side into the B2B the the music curation logic is completely different i mean when you're consuming in your headphones uh, there's no real risk you can jump between tracks you know if you're if you're consuming an algorithm it's totally okay if three tracks are off you just jump in the business instance and the public that's not okay it needs to be much higher precision and then also when you kind of set the dna or i would say the recipe for what music we played you need to think as you think when you're executing on a brand plan, right? You need to think as you, when you're executing on the design uh, of your shops or uh, when you're doing advertising, you need to take the brand strategy and apply it to music. And what we've done with our AI is we built kind of the bridge in between how a brander thinks, a brand builder thinks, and how that is translated into music selection. So as an example, as you know, if you're kind of a progressive brand targeting um, 40 year olds um, uh, guys in New York, you can kind of feed that into our algorithms and say, you know, progressive music in genres, house, hip hop, urban R&B um, based on 1980s, 70s, 90s and 2000s. Uh, explicit lyrics are allowed. And uh, you can you can launch that kind of recipe of music, and it will create the soundtrack for your brand for that specific customer group, and it will live and update itself throughout time, so you can focus on selling clothes or whatever you're selling to us. And and how have you been thinking uh, around uh, what the, the the work that I was doing, like going the next step? So now you have a license, and you have this amazing product that helping businesses actually uh, measuring the impact in real time? 
I think it goes back to my my contribution and my uh, mission to increase value in music. And I think the the kind of real pivotal real pivotal moment for this company and for the music industry is the day we can prove in real time that we're we're increasing sales. Because if you're increasing sales for then I can charge anything for it. Hence, we'll be unlocking incredible value for the music industry. So, and in order to do that, you need to build sophisticated technology that can re, you know react in real time and you know work with sales figures and and kind of in real time adjust the experience. So, there's a very interesting future that you've helped us kind of just scrap scratch the surface on. But I mean, look, if you can deploy this in real time. Uh, based on kind of what's going on in the store and who's in there and what music works to sell more coffee, then it's not going to be $50 anymore. I assure you, I'm going to be charging a whole lot more and, and I'm going to be giving that 50% to the recording or to the music industry. And that will be a good day for all of us, even for the customer, even for the customer as a business, of course, because she's driving her business. And she, if, if we help her improve that business, she'll be happy to pay for that. Yeah, it becomes a tool of figuring out what works for my brand because it's challenging when there's so many tracks out there. And that's like out of my episodes talking about sonic branding and branding overall and neuroscience. How did you figure how do you figure out what what works for your brand? Right. Um, so in the end now, so so entrepreneurs are struggling now during the pandemic and through your lens, how is the pandemic impacting businesses uh, and your business and how are you supporting the store's owners currently and how can music help in their space when they come back? Well, I mean, uh, the COVID crisis has been brutal for us and for anyone trying to sell services into the restaurant industry or the retail industry or anything that has, you know, with physical to do. So it's been, it's been a real challenge. Um, and look, if it's challenging for us, it's not even the beginning how challenging it is for our customers. So we've kind of directly when this crisis hit us kind of moved into a ruthless partnership mentality of like, we're going to help you any way we can. And we've, we've deployed, discounts we've deployed pause functions you can pause your music instead of canceling uh, during covid and anything we can do in order to help our customers make it through uh, and kind of come out on the other side so that's our small contribution we've actually had a you know since march we had a, a, a you know we just got torpedoed by the by the covid crisis but believe it or not like since june we've been working our way back and we're back on where we were when the crisis uh, hit us, which is nothing less than you know amazing, and that's thanks to the team. And at the same time, we've also been able to launch Universal Worldwide. We've been able to launch our tiered product offering. Everything that we set out to do strategically, we've done anyway through this. Uh, but uh, it's not over yet. We still have you know a very challenging, I, I would say, six to nine months ahead of us before we, I think, we start flying through this storm, and and our customers as well. But the, the great thing is that we're a very agile, small technology-based team out of Stockholm, uh, live in 74 markets. So we can move in between markets in real time and put marketing spend here and there and kind of keep, you know, wrestle our way through this crisis. The second dimension of your question is like, how does, 
how does what's music's role in the pandemic actually out there in the physical world and i think i think it's even more important now when if your business is open if you're fortunate enough to be in a location where you're actually in business still uh partially or fully uh, that the music is there and the music doesn't stop because imagine walking into a restaurant a retail instance you know you're here in covid there's few people in there and it's silent uh that's not what you want to be kind of delivering i mean you really want to keep it going you really want to keep the energy and the happiness and, and the brand experience kind of on the same level and showing the confidence in your business otherwise you know you're you're kind of supporting the doomsday situation you need to push through and we will help in that in terms of helping everyone out but i think it's like it's so important to keep focusing on the customer experience even if it's challenging and music is an integral part of that amazing and then what is the next step then for your team i'm sure you guys are haven't you're not done yet uh what are you going to shake up next i think um right now it's you know it's very focused on on the world situation and, and kind of flying through but we're very fortunate to have strong investors uh we have very, very supportive, great new lead investor, uh, Fuel VC from Miami, who kind of really see the long-term game here. So we have the luxury of kind of flying through this storm and coming out stronger on the other side with a new augmented, even improved offering. I think uh, w what we're thinking about right now is obviously, A, let's just, you know, get this whole market of background music on streaming platforms. So, so we unlock the value for, for the creative industries. B, there's something beyond music as well in terms of the audio revolution. And uh, what, what Spotify is now doing with podcasts and kind of going beyond music, there's, there's an audio extension as well into the public domain that might go beyond music. That's very interesting. And it can be anything from informative messaging to soundscapes to... Uh, to stuff that we don't know that we don't see already, but it's communicating with your ears and it's communicating in the in the public domain and it's an extension of the audio revolution as well beyond music. So I think there's lots of opportunity and in your field as well. I mean, the research around neuroscience and the neuroscientific impact of music and audio is super interesting. So maybe it's not just about retail and sales. Maybe it's about um, Maybe it's about helping hospitals or, the, you know, uh, decreasing violence in, you know, the subway. Um, or actually, we, see, we saw some researchers at the Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden doing some research around um, actually theft uh, and uh, in stores, which, some, which certain music and certain soundscapes actually affect uh, behavior in terms of, uh, people not stealing in stores. So there's lots of interesting angles to kind of continue with uh, beyond just solving the music problem for, for the B2B market. As you said, yeah, very impressive. And uh, yeah, you're right. Because one thing is what you guys are doing. Next will be, okay, we have all of this, but how can we uh, help entrepreneurs to figure out how they can now use music as a tool to increase uh, 
what they want to achieve, no matter what it is. Uh, yeah, it's super impressive. Thank you very much, Ola, for joining us. And if the listeners want to learn more about Soundtrack Your Brand and sign up, where can, where can they do that? Uh, I mean, if they want to learn about the product and our offering, it's at soundtrackyourbrand.com or soundtrack.fm. So that you can read everything. And if they want to get in contact with me, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way uh, at Ola Sarge. I mean, I'm happy to try to answer any type of ideas or so forth. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Power of Audio, Science and AI. I'm Jasmine Marotti, and thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast and want to follow my journey towards discovering the secrets behind The Power of Audio, Science and AI, then make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing on my website, jasminemarotti.com, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. I'm working towards increasing the value of music so that artists receive the fair share of the economic value they create in our society. So make sure to spread their words to your fellow brand leaders and business network via your social media. Stay tuned for my next episode where I have invited back my friend Dr. Bradley Wines to discuss the ins and outs of music and psychedelic therapy and how we can use music as self-therapy during the pandemic at home. This episode is supported by Stockholm Music City, recorded in the pod booth at the co-working space The Park in Stockholm, and music by Skirk. Music